Today's episode of Real Talk Christian Podcast is sponsored by the Christian Standard Bible. The goal of the CSB is to be faithful to the original languages without sacrificing clarity, all while maintaining both accuracy and readability. With the beautiful designs and multiple study Bible options, everyone from adults to teens and even children can find a CSB Bible that they enjoy. Learn more at csbible.com. Again, that's csbible.com. Welcome to Real Talk Christian Podcast, where we drink coffee and have real conversations on faith, culture, and society. I'm your host, Chris Fuller. And this is Mark Hyde. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing how to find God during difficult times, an interview with Jess Ronnie. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm excited for this This one, man. This is going to be a great interview. Mark, are you ready to do it? Let's go. Let's go. Oh, goodness, man. Have you ever drank too hot coffee and then it goes down the wrong pipe? Yeah. And it's like, oh, oh. literally right before you were like, welcome to Real Talk. I'm like, I'm going to die. You're this like, is not okay. I'm so you glad you saw me do it, too. <laughs> I was trying not to laugh. It, it was bad. Well, dude, we are officially into the winter season. We're in December where we're allowed to listen to Christmas music. I have a random question for you, dude. What's that, man? We're not doing fun facts today or uh, this or that or whatever. We're doing the fun facts, just not oh, at the, the winter. End, at the end, at the end. Yeah, at the end. So but I anyways. have a fun question for you. Okay. Real fast. Greatest Christmas album or artist that you think of all time? Michael Bublé. No. Duh. Really? Come on, dude. He's the greatest. The greatest. Okay. Most, what do you got? So uh, most people don't like my answers. Um, Weezer's Christmas album oh, is one of my on. favorite. <laughs> all right. You're, or or mute, Jump 5. Mute your channel. Or you're, you're Jump. Done. You know, remember Jump 5 back in the <laughs> oh, day? Oh, I remember like, Jump like, 5. Like the Christian 18. They had a Christmas album. I saw them live. They signed it. I fangirl hard. I'm like, I'm going to marry that one, yeah. Brittany. Oh, and and that, that that didn't happen. But either way, welcome sorry, back Beth. to the show. Beth, I've tried. Hey, she's a big Brett uh, Eldridge fan. I have tried to did, mold him into a good husband for you. Did you know we're going to go worked. see Brett Eldridge here in a couple weeks? We're going to go you? to his Christmas nice. concert over That's in Chicago because cool. she loves Brett. And apparently he's still single, but she's not. So I got nothing to worry about anymore. Right. All right. Let's let's skip the would you rather's today. We got to jump into this because we we're in a tight time to frame the, today, we, man. We, we, want, yeah, we are in a tight time frame and we want to get to this interview quick. But yes. before we do, let's talk about the coffee. What Definitely. coffee are we so drinking? So we are actually drinking stuff from Brew It Forward Coffee Co. Last week, we did not drink our stuff from Brew It Forward Coffee Co. Because nope. we drink the Costco. The Costco. The Costco. What was that Costco stuff it was again? The Mayan blend. It was good. It was an it organic. Was so oh, it was good. some of the best store-bought coffee I've ever had. So I would agree to that. Yeah. I mean, Kalamazoo coffee is pretty good too. It was. But that's that's another local. It's just, that's it's local. This is a little, Costco. It's a little bit before the Costco. I think. That's I think true. Costco is. Just I think Costco is better. What are we but drinking? So we are drinking our single origin Costa Rican mm. blend from Brew It Forward Coffee Co. Brewitforwardcoffeeco.com. You can use your coupon code RTC to get ten percent off. Or if you do the subscription, that's what we recommend. You you don't get anything. You off. get free There's shipping. Free shipping. But free shipping. Here's the deal. And, and you don't someone, have to worry about someone asked coffee. us about this. You know, even though it's a technically a coffee sponsorship we don't get any money from this at all we just no. wanted to partner with them and now we get free coffee and i am here for it but, right but we that's not the reason why we no, got into it no we we actually uh, approached them and so i graduated with uh not graduated with i graduated year behind marianne right. and marianne and jared they're kind of the main people behind this and the reason why we love this coffee so much is we have a big heart for the foster community for the adoption community for just helping kids and young adults just feel the love of Jesus, but also get the help that they actually need to take that next step that they need in life. Right. And that's where all the proceeds for, uh, for Brew It Ford Coffee Company go. It goes to Bethany House, which is a local Pennsylvania. Right. Um, it's not a halfway house. It's more of for kids aging out of foster care and they don't know where to go or they don't have a next step. And, right. you know, because a lot of times they turn 18 and all of a sudden they get shipped out and they have no no, nothing to do. And they just fall back into a very broken system. Yeah. So Bethany house house with that. They also sponsor Ronald McDonald house and a couple other ministries that even one where they provide, uh, materials for placements where if you don't have cribs or car seats, like they, they supply yeah. all that for foster moms and foster dads. So yeah. we wanted to partner with them. So that way 
again, we don't want any of the the money or recognition. We nope. just think it's a really cool, really cool opportunity for us to be able to come alongside these people and help out. And, and we, the coffee is good. And we want our, our <laughs> listeners to drink good coffee. I mean, come on. That's what we're here for. It so. is some good stuff. So this is the single origin Costa it is Rican. Very, very it is tasty. Good. It is very good. But let's jump into this interview. I mean, we have a very special guest with us today. Yep. Uh, Jess Ronnie is an author, a speaker, a podcast host, CEO of the Lucas Project, a caregiver, advocate, and a mom of eight. Well, that's a title. You'll often find her chatting about faith, grief, food, simplicity, blended families, gardening, special needs, clean living, and everything else in between. Jess has two books, Blended with Grit and Grace and Sunlight Burning at Midnight. She also has a third book coming out this next year. Uh, not in this next year, next, but the year after. Yeah, right. Yeah. Why do I think we're in Jess, 2022? Jess, you can correct us in a minute. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, but you can also find her at uh, jessplusthemess.com or thelucasproject.org. Okay, so before we even jump in, I'm exhausted. Jess, I'm exhausted just <laughs> hearing this. Exhausted for you. <laughs> How do you have I'm always tired, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Well, Jess, thank you so much for being on with us today. Um, obviously the title of the podcast is finding God during difficult times. And, and you've had quite a few difficult times, you and, and Jason, um, and, and just your family in general. Uh, can you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, what was it like growing up and, and, and just different things like that? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, and Growing up, I was the oldest of 12 kids, so it's oh, kind of wow. funny that, um, you know, God decided that I would be the perfect mom for eight. That was never in my life goal. I did not set out to be this mom of eight children. In fact, I told the Lord that I thought my mother was crazy for having so <laughs> many kids and not to plan on me following her her lead on that, but um, God apparently had different plan for my life, and um, just kind of a, a pretty normal childhood, was homeschooled um, through high school and then went to college, met my first husband, Jason. Right. Um, while I was in college, we got married young, we had a child, you know, two years after marriage, kind of what everybody does. And then we were excited to expand our family. So we started trying again for our second child. And that's kind of where my, my story begins to take a turn. Um, you want me to keep going? Yeah, yeah, go for okay. it. We're, we're just here All to right. listen. We're here to listen to how God blessed the mess. And, and I just want to say real fast, I, you know, I've been reading your your Sunlight Burning at Midnight book, and this is it's basically your journal entries of going through this next portion of your life that you're about right. to discuss. So I recommend people reading it. It makes me tear up every time I pick it up. So go ahead, Jess. Uh, so, yeah, I, I got pregnant again pretty easily, and everything seemed to be just fine, and I went to what I thought was my – 20-week ultrasound appointment, you know, r- very routine appointment. And Jason stayed home with our two-year-old son, Caleb. And it was there that I was lying upon the table and, you know, she's finding the heartbeat. And then she just got really quiet, um, the nurse, and said, you know, I have to go find the doctor. I'll be right back. And even at that point, I was, I guess, extremely oblivious to the fact that there could be something wrong even. Um, and she came back with the, the doctor and he said, um, you know, we found your baby suffered a stroke in utero. Um, your baby's head is full of cerebral spinal fluid. Mm. There's very little chance that this child will ever be born. We recommend termination. You're young and healthy. You won't have any problem getting pregnant. You know, just try again. Mm. And that's kind of where my life, I mean, was flipped upside down, obviously. Um, I somehow left that appointment, pulled over to the side of the road, called my husband, Jason, on a payphone because we didn't have cell phones back there. I'm going to date myself a little bit. <laughs> and um, he just said, are you OK to drive home? I said, yes. And he said, OK, I'll be praying. And that's when I walked into our house. He was on his knees praying for me, praying for our unborn baby. And because of our faith, we knew we weren't going to, you know, termination was not an option. Right. We were just going to leave the baby in the Lord's hands. And that is, you know, what Sunlight Burning at Midnight is all about. My first book, it's those journal entries through those remaining months of pregnancy, um, because I still had about three months to go, and just really wrestling with my faith and wrestling with, you know, coming to terms with God's will for this baby. And August 12, 2004, um, my baby, I didn't know the sex at the time, but was extremely stubborn and just refused to leave my womb. <laughs> so they eventually had to, um, uh, what's it called when they 
they had to schedule a C-section date, mm, okay. to, you know, to, to move the, the process along. Right. And they had to take him out, basically. He was mm. not going to come out on his own. And so um, they lifted him out of my belly. He was screaming with life. And then, you know, he went to the NICU for two weeks. And they handed me my baby two weeks later and said, oh, wow. all right, we're discharging you. Good luck. And Jason and I kind of looked at each other like, oh, so we've gone from your baby will never be born to Good here's luck. your baby. Yeah. Good luck. Wow. And, and I had to ask, and I know it's a different different time and a different era, but so did you not even get to hold him for those first two weeks? No, I did. Um, they would take him out, and okay, they, he had brain surgery um, two days after he was born. They put a shunt in. Mm. His head was a two-year-old size head at birth because it was so full of cerebral spinal fluid mm. wow. um, that they literally had to cut me open from one side to, to the other just to get his head out of me. Um, but then they put a shunt in, and the, the cerebral spinal fluid started draining, and they just they said, you know, we have no idea what his future looks like. Right. Um, we're assuming there's going to be some delays and, you know, some setbacks, but they really didn't know. And I think that's when I really knew, too, you know, the medical community doesn't always know. And sometimes, you know, God knows best. And they told me this whole time the baby would never be born and he was born. And so... I didn't even mourn the fact that I might have a special needs child. Like I was just thrilled that I was going home with a live baby. Yeah. And I think I did most of my grieving process throughout the pregnancy and was just eager and willing to accept whatever Lucas looked like at that point. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> now, uh, a question for you. I mean, uh, what is, um, what is life like what was life like when you first got home and learning how to help your special needs child how to help lucas through while you still had another child while you still had a two-year-old at home and and what did that all look like um it was really hard it was a very dark period because lucas wouldn't sleep Mm -hmm. and um you know even with his head size if he were to somehow roll over in the middle of the night, he would have suffocated himself because mm. he wouldn't have been able to lift his his head back up. So I literally sat there most nights just glued to his bassinet, you know, beside our bed. And I, I couldn't even allow myself to sleep hardly because I was so terrified that something would happen to him in the middle of the night. Um, you know, numerous setbacks. He was delayed in, in everything. And we just kind of took it. And... Um, I I would say him not sleeping for years was the most difficult part of the journey just because it's really hard to operate when you're not sleeping and to even find joy, I think, when Mm -hmm. you're never sleeping. But eventually he got through that and um, we decided to try for another child. We we wanted three kids and um, got pregnant again pretty easily. And that was a baby girl. She was born in 2007, perfectly normal pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And after her birth, my husband, Jason, started having all these unexplained symptoms going on. Like he lost tons of weight. He was extremely disoriented, um, just um, like heart palpitations and all kinds of weird things. And he would go to specialist after specialist and they would say, you just have to get your blood sugar levels under control. He was diagnosed with um, diabetes. Mm which was so strange because he was a gym owner, a personal trainer, a tennis professional. Like if there's anybody who was the epitome of health. Yeah, and about fitness, to say, he's a healthy man. Goodness. <laughs> he was a healthy guy. Yeah. And they could not figure out what was going on with him. And one night, um, all the, all three kids were home. My youngest was about six months old. And I just turned to him because he would have good days and bad days and said, Hey, do you feel okay? Can I quick run across town to my dad's house to pick up something? And he was like, yeah, I feel fine. So got in my car, ran to my dad's house about 20 minutes away, and the phone rang. I picked it up, and it was Jason. He said, Jess, call 911, and the phone went dead. Mm. And so I'm frantic. I tell my dad we got to whip back home, and you know I'm calling 911, and I show up. Jason had had a seizure um, and seized until he passed out. But right before he passed out, he had enough sense to like put Caleb, our then four-year-old, in front of a movie, Lucas in the Exorcisor, and baby Mabel in her bouncy chair and then he seized until he passed out so we ended up at the hospital that night um they did an mri and found a baseball-sized brain tumor Mm. he was prepped for immediate surgery which it went well 
um, the biopsy came back and said it was just a grade two. So we didn't necessarily have to do anything. Um, mm. And they said, you know, you can just watch and wait with quarterly MRI appointments. You're young and healthy. And who knows, maybe this won't return for 20 years. And that's what we that's what we were believing in. Um, we were kind of looking at each other like, OK, you've put us through the fire. You've tested us first with Lucas. Now you're, you've tested us with Jason. And now we're going to walk into our promised land together. Um, and Jason rebounded. He was full of life. Um, he felt like a million bucks, so much so that we found ourselves pregnant again. Mm. That one was not planned, um, but <laughs> that one went along just fine. And um, Jason was doing his quarterly MRI appointments, and I was scheduled to go to my 20-week ultrasound appointment with now my fourth child. Lucas, um, I'm trying to think of the dates. It was May 2009. I had my 20-week ultrasound appointment. Lucas had brain surgery scheduled because he had been screaming like crazy, and they found that he had a tethered spinal cord and Chiari malformation, which basically means that his spinal cord was growing into his brain mm. uh, cavity. So I have my ultrasound appointment. Lucas has this surgery, and Jason has his quarterly MRI appointment. My ultrasound appointment goes fine. We're ecstatic. We're praising the Lord. Lucas's surgery, it goes off without a hitch. Everything's fantastic. Um, end of May, Jason goes to his MRI appointment, and I get a call at home. Jess, the tumor's back. They told me I have to check myself into ER immediately. So I'm frantically trying to find people to watch my kids. Jason goes down, checks himself into ER. I meet up with him somehow. Um, they find another baseball-sized brain tumor, take it out, but this time the biopsy is uh, stage four, and they recommend chemo and radiation, which we follow through on all of the recommendations. Um, but even sitting there, I remember it was a stage four glioblastoma, which I had done enough research at this point to understand that that was a life expectancy of about 14 months. And that's exactly what he made it to. Um, he passed away August 24, 2010, one month before our youngest turned one years old. Wow. And I was a 33-year-old widow with four children, six and under. Hmm. <laughs> wow. That's just... <laughs> get chills every time I... Yeah, I, I don't know what to say. I know. My heart's being like, right I don't, thing. Like, I don't know what to say. I'm fighting back tears. <laughs> um, what was the... Uh, I mean, uh, what was your thought process, um, your relationship with God during this time? I mean, I, it's, I'm... I'm I'm at all that you're still standing, first of all, <laughs> that you're still walking with God. Like, wh where were you at spiritually? I mean, obviously, we know mentally you were probably a wreck. Emotionally, you were a wreck. What was you, where were you at spiritually with all this? I was extremely angry. Yeah. Um, I used anger as my fuel, I think, um, just to get through my days. It was adrenaline and I, I never lost my faith, but I was raging at God. Like seriously, I mean, people have no, they have no comprehension of what that, what those months look like. I mean, you can't with a child with profound special needs who, um, you know, is still in diapers yeah. and I have a two-year-old still in diapers and I have a baby still in diapers and a husband in hospice care who can also no longer, you know, take care of himself. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Caleb was my oldest who was six years old. He, he was my right hand man. He, Jason would get disoriented and fall out of bed. And Caleb was, you know, helping me lift his father back into bed. Caleb was feeding his father while I took care of the three other kids, you know, just, and I guess, like, I didn't know how else to handle it. So as long as I stayed in, like, anger mode, I seemed to have fuel to get through my days. Um, I've learned since then that anger is not the, the best fuel. Um, there are better fuels to rely on. Um, but, yeah, I couldn't hardly even see straight mm. during that period. It was literally, like, pass out in bed at 10 o'clock at night, get up at 6 a.m. to start the whole thing over again. And it was diaper after diaper after diaper after diaper, you know, get ready for the hospice nurse to come in. Just one thing after another. Like, you're just, you're in survival mode. Mm. Wow. I, I, <laughs> I just, I think about 
some of the struggles of my life and, and my family's life. And <clears throat> we think we have it bad. And, and then we hear a story <laughs> like this. <laughs> it makes you rethink it. And, and of course, yeah, I mean, we oh, don't want to necessarily compare one, one no, journey they're not, to another. They're, they're not. But, but, but I'm hearing this and it's like, uh, I don't know, Jess, there's so many people when they look at situations that are tough in them and go, you know, God, I've done everything you asked me to do. I am trying to follow you. We love you. We're your children. Why the heck us? Why right. why are we the ones being called to to walk through this? I mean, with with Jason going through all these things, I mean, yeah, now all of a sudden you found yourself as a wife and a mom, but now you're a wife, mom, caretaker. I mean, did you have people alongside you to walk walk this through with you like to, to keep your eyes focused on what you know keeping the main things the main thing keeping your eyes focused on Jesus and doing what you have to do or was it kind of a a lonely place if you don't mind me asking um no I did um I had hundreds of people hold me up during that year and a half that Jason was going through treatments and but it still is kind of a lonely place because you know you're still the one who's intimately tied to the situation mm-hmm. and um you know, I'll often say that with my pregnancy with Lucas, too. I was the one carrying him, you know, all those months. So people could empathize with my situation, but I was still the one who had to go through my days just begging to feel a kick because I every day I woke up and thought, is this the day that I don't feel a kick anymore and my baby dies? I don't feel any movement and my baby dies. So it still is like a very lonely journey um, that you're carrying by yourself. But um no, I had a lot of people holding me up, but still, it's it, it's still you at the end of the day right. who needs to show up and make sure things get done. And especially, like, there's a point that came with my marriage, for sure, where it shifted from, like, a spousal relationship to a caregiver role. And I think that's when the grief started for me, when it was like, I don't really feel like I have a husband anymore. I'm now his caregiver and this is where my vows kick in you know till death do us part and um i think just recognize i mean for us it was a three-year journey so by the time jason passed away i had kind of worked through the steps of grief and had come to a point of acceptance where like when cancer is your taskmaster for so long and then that's finally eliminated from your life there is like a sense of peace about that to release your spouse and somebody that you're watching go through so much pain and say, okay, you know, thy will be done. He's in a better place. But now what do I do? I have these four kids and one with profound special needs. And I'm certainly not going to be like a hot commodity to anybody with this situation. <laughs> so Right. So, so, but, but like, let's, let's lean into that situation though. So, you know, Jason passed away and, and what year was that you said? 2010. 2010. 2010. Um, so that was, yeah, 11 years ago. So what, obviously there's a sense of relief. There's a sense of, um, you know, I don't want to say thankfulness, but it's at the same time, it's the fact of Jason, he, he ran his race well. And he fought the good fight, and now he's he's with his savior. But for you, you're still stuck here on earth mm-hmm. with your four kids. I mean, where did you find yourself, and and how did you? I would say I don't want to say what was the next steps that you took, but just what came next in that journey. I think for me, I was I'm and still am today. Was very thankful that I had children that I had to get up out, out of bed for. Like they kept me moving step by step. Had if I hadn't had any kids, I think I would have got, you know, crawled into bed and never gotten out again. Mm. Um, But when you have kids who require things, it was kind of this continuous movement forward back into life again. Um, And I continued to blog. I I blogged all through Jason's journey and continued afterwards. And that was comforting to know, you know, I still had people praying for us and lifting us up. And that's kind of where the the story takes a turn. because I was blogging through all of this. And then that Halloween got the kids all dressed up, ready to go out trick-or-treating, you know, because I wanted to show Facebook world and everybody else in the world that I was doing fine. I was still alive and Mm. managing, even though like it was the most stressful night of my life, Mm. managing that by myself. But ended up going out, coming back home that night, put the kids to bed, and I checked my blog. And this um, stranger who had been following 
for the past year and a half. Um, she lived in Pennsylvania. I lived in Michigan. She just left a little comment and said, I have no idea why I'm telling you to do this, but there is a widower in Oklahoma. His wife died four days after Jason passed away. She also died from brain cancer. He has three young children. He's not doing very well. And I just think you could be a source of encouragement to him. Mm. So I went and found his blog and just left a little comment, said, if you ever want to talk, you know, I'm here, whatever. And woke up the next day to an email from this man <laughs> named Ryan. And that's where my story turns. Um, we started talking and emailing and we ended up meeting a few months later. And um, this is the Cliff Notes version, but we were married the following year. He moved to Michigan, adopted my kids. I adopted his kids. And then we moved to rural Tennessee to begin a life together where we had our eighth and final child who is now six years old. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and everyone lived happily ever after. There's so not, much. Not no, there, there's so much in the story between you and Ryan. <laughs> I, it's like, Oh, I wish we had, we, I, I wish you could talk about it for like six hours, but, uh, <laughs> well, we, that's why we, there's books. That's, that's why there's books. That's why people need to go right. buy the books. Go buy my books. Exactly. Yes. Um, but because we can't dig into all that, can you kind of just talk about what was it like? And I know, Mark, you'll you'll appreciate this a little bit because you're in the similar situation of bringing two families together with special needs with kids. special needs kids. And how does that how did that work for you guys? What was some of the the highlights of it, the the good parts of it, and what were some of the struggles? What what did those been like for you? Because I need to know because I'm tired. <laughs> There's a lot, um, and I would say I. Having been the oldest of 12 kids, there was a lot of preparation that I had had. I think it was more of a transition for Ryan, um, especially with Lucas, who when Ryan entered the picture was five or six years old at that point, probably six. Um, so that was a transition, you know, just trying to figure out this nonverbal child with these disabilities and how do I handle this scenario or whatever. Um, but yeah, I had my four and he had his three. And I kind of talk about this in the second book. Just um, I think there was a lot of guilt for me in that first year because I kind of set aside my four grieving biological children to like form bonds with these three new children who I had adopted. And then and you're I newlywed. One, I mean, man. Yeah. And I woke up one day just bawling and Ryan was like, what's wrong? I said, I miss my kids. Like I had sort of thought they'll be fine. They know I love them. I've been their mother and just really invested a lot of time and energy into my new three children. Mm -hmm. um, because I mean, I just married this man too, and I want to prove I can be a good mom to his kids, <laughs> you know, all these insecurities that you have. But there was, I mean, seven grieving children and we were both grieving as well. Um, Ryan worked through a lot of that in our first year or two of marriage, which was um, not great. Uh, we probably should have gotten therapists because, like I said, I was kind of further along in the grieving process and had reached a stage of acceptance, yeah. whereas his wife was diagnosed in April and passed away in August. So wow. just a few months and perfectly healthy mom to no longer with us, yeah. whereas I had had, you know, a three year span of time to sort of wrap my mind around it. But, you know, we learned from it. Um, Eleven years later, we're not in that same space, but. I would definitely recommend some therapy, I think, and not like using each other as therapists, which mm -hmm. is what we did, which, you know, there are some things that should have remained sacred to those relationships mm -hmm. and, you know, not aired to, to each other. It just wasn't appropriate. Right. Um, so yeah, we did some things right. We did some things very wrong. We prioritized a weekly date night. We knew that with seven children, if, we wanted our marriage to last. We had to prioritize alone time together because we didn't know each other that well. And still to this day, we go on a weekly date night mm. because there's just, now we have eight kids right. and, and we want the gift that we give our children when they're older, like a stable, happy home that they can come home to. So that's always been a priority to mm. both of us. Wow. And, and it is, it's so important. We've talked about this, Mark and I have, about how important it is to make sure your kids see that, hey, mom and dad are working on each other and they prioritize each other, though there's other things going on. It's mm -hmm. so important to have that relationship. 
And it's hard, man. And like, like hard. I'm sitting here, like, I'm, I'm listening to you, Jess, and I'm like, are you, t- are you talking about your story or my story right now? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what's going on because, you know, and, and that's a big thing where we've even talked about on the show where it's like, I mean, I have a therapist. Beth yeah. has a therapist. Right. You know, we have a marriage counselor, like, it, which is kind of funny that my counselor also serves as our marriage counselor. I mean, Neil is the GOAT. I mean, he is amazing. Um, and But there's so many times where we uh, – and this is where, I mean, being vulnerable, I mean, this is where I find myself stuck in all the time is I find myself stuck in the grief of this sucks. Like this, this just is not okay. This, this is not good. And, um, if you don't mind me asking, just, I know you probably found yourself in that place where you're like, this situation's not even ideal. This is just not okay. And then I'm sure, you know, Ryan on the flip side, he goes, this is not okay. Where, you know, he's still grieving the loss of his wife. And now, uh, I don't, I don't know what type of personality Ryan is. If he's more, you know, struggles with, with insecurities or griefs or anger or anything like that, but you guys are both working through your own junk while you're trying to make a new family and all these different mm-hmm. things. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how did you guys, um, I, I don't want to say see God in the midst of the mess because because I know that's, I, I know how you're going to answer it, but more, I guess, the fact of how did you love each other through the mess while pointing each other to Jesus? Mm. I'm not sure we did sometimes. There's <laughs> <laughs> like, the truth. You know, you said, what kind of personality is Ryan? He's a peacemaker. Mm. He does. He did not communicate until like I entered the picture and I was like, you need to communicate. But that's he and that's what we had to sort out, too. Like Jason and I were both very type A communicative people who spoke our minds. Ryan and his late wife weren't. They were both more like stick your head in the sand and the problem will go away. So then you have me and Ryan coming into this relationship and I'm like. Why don't you ever communicate? Why why is everything just fine and all right all the time? Like I know it's not. He just wants I'm to be like, go away. Screaming <laughs> inside. So I think just figuring out um, how each other ticks. And he's a much better communicator today. And I've learned to hold my tongue in certain areas and instances so that, you know, we don't have these big blowout fights. Mm. But I'm not gonna lie, those first couple of years, like I I was raging at times just because there's so much that goes into blended that people don't understand. And so much of it is tied to insecurities. And I think so much is tied to it to not having a shared history together. Mm -hmm. Now, 11 years later, we have a shared history. We have a foundation. So a lot of that stuff never comes up anymore. And I think a lot of people just don't give it enough time to flourish because once you get past that, all that insecurity stuff and like it does become us and not about like past relationships or past, you know, past with other people. Mm. And that was that was the most difficult part for me. And that's a lot of what I write about in my second book, even is a lot of the insecurities that I dealt with, even when we bought a new home together and he brought like all of her stuff mm. into the new home. And I was like, I don't even like this stuff. I don't want this <laughs> stuff in my house. Right. Like I didn't understand why he had an opinion about like what dishes I was going to cook with, mm. but it was a much deeper issue. Right. Um, you know, it was one of the, the few nice gifts he bought his late wife and mm. he didn't appreciate it that I didn't appreciate that. But it was like, but I don't want you don't want it. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like I have my own stuff. Yeah. So, it, it came down to communicating, really. Mm. But I think we could have done a better job by maybe having somebody as a mediator, mm. a trusted person, help us work through some of those feelings. And so uh, if you don't mind, I want to fast forward to right now, because, I mean, obviously your your family still is big. I mean, uh, I, I got to ask, what what's the family vehicle? <laughs> uh, we just have a minivan. We got Aww. rid of our extended van. We had a, We have a couple who can drive now. Oh, so, I'm looking forward to that day. We got we a 15 passenger, the, extended roof, extended trunk, all the things. No, we got rid of the the 15 passenger. The, the church van. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me but ask. That's what I. That's what I grew up driving. Yeah. I, that's how I learned yeah. driver's ed. Right. So. Right. And so I know the problems. I mean, obviously, I want to say like there's still challenges. Like you know, the kids haven't disappeared. I mean, you're still mom. You're still wife. You're still you know working with with Lucas. 
And mm-hmm. I mean, are there still struggles that you find yourself dealing with? Because I mean, obviously it's easy to talk about the past and go, mm-hmm. this was the pain and the grief and the anger and the God, where are you in the Mets and in, in the mess? And we can talk about the past, but right now, I mean, do you guys still find yourself stuck in the mess? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Even more so. Um, we now have five teenagers. And <laughs> I'm sorry. When, oh my God. Right. Wow. You're, you're going to be in that situation soon. <laughs> I'm going to have three, three teenagers, three girls. girls. Oh yeah. We have six girls and one boy and I'm not looking forward to this. Oh, it's not, it's not fun at all. Um, I, I, I think one of them is mad at me every single day, oh. maybe two on a single day. Um, and we found too, that when they were younger, we just thought, wow, this is so amazing. They all get along so well. They play so well. Okay, well, this is our new family. And then they become teenagers and they have all these questions about their identity and where they came from. And you're not my real mom. I'm and not, you're not, feel, my real I'm not feeling and, very encouraged right now. <laughs> oh, no, it gets way harder. <laughs> so, <laughs> And then Lucas, too, is 17. Yeah. He still has you know profound disabilities and right. autism. So there's a lot there, too. So you you know you've gone through we've we've talked about um, you and struggling with the the pregnancy through the birth of, of Lucas and and talking about um, the, your late husband Jason and how you met Ryan and all these things all these what most of of society would consider hopeless times you know without Christ we, oh good there's so many hopeless times how have your how how has your faith strengthened through all this. And how would you encourage other people's, other people's, other people that might be struggling with similar things? Um, how would you, what would you say to them? Um, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, I think when Jason died, like the thing that kept resonating through my mind was, I am God and you are not. Mm. And just this mantra of, I am God and you are not. And understanding that I may not I may not understand everything this side of eternity, but it's having that faith to say, okay, Lord, I believe that you have the sovereign will over my life. And as long as I keep moving forward step by step in obedience to what you call of me, then there is blessing either this side of eternity or in heaven someday. I just truly believe that in the depth of my soul, that if I continue to live obediently, I will receive that blessing one way or another. Um, And I've seen that in my life. And I can look back even and say, you know, there have been difficult times for sure, but I'm doing what I've wanted to do since I was five years old, which is to write books. Mm. And now I'm running a nonprofit that is completely related to my son, Lucas, and everything that we've gone through and producing a documentary that's going to change the world. And so like, his sovereign will has, he has been faithful. And I see that. So I it's a muscle that I've had to really um, exercise, I think, throughout the years. But Mm. now at 44 years old, I can truly see his faithfulness and accept his faithfulness. Mm. And I view my life even as a sacrificial offering. Everything in my life, I lay at the altar to bring glory to God. And I don't do that perfectly by any means. I still get angry and I still spout (laughs) off my mouth. But I also look at the example of King David often and feel a lot like him because I feel like he had so many battles in his life. And he did some stupid stuff, too. Like, he, you know, spouted off his mouth and slept with other women that he shouldn't have been sleeping with. But he always, his heart always remained faithful to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And the Lord blessed him, even in spite of his human shortcomings. Mm -hmm. So, So you leaned into it already a little bit, but with the documentary, the new book, The Lucas Project... Um, obviously your story is, is touching people all across the nation. And I mean, is it fair to say the world too, of just, you know, yeah, I, I was here, <laughs> I, I was here, we did it. I mean, we, we did it through Jesus, not like our own strength and you can right. do it too. And so if you don't mind me leaning into a little bit, um, what's the, the Lucas project all about? I know you have a podcast and you guys share your story all the time and you're all about caregivers and, and trying to be mm-hmm. there for the special needs community. But what's, what's the Lucas project all about? And obviously I know where it came from cause your son, but just, I would say, what's the mission behind it and, and what's some of the fruit that you guys have seen from that? 
Well, in 2017, when we lived in rural Tennessee, my husband Ryan began to have um, panic attacks that looked like heart attacks, and he ended up in ER a few times. And it was mainly due to the stress. We were extremely isolated, extremely exhausted, and we were raising this child with severe autism. And as he was going through puberty, his behaviors and aggression were amped up significantly. And um, yeah, because Lucas is I, still a human. At the, yeah, exactly. And when Lucas was born, I vowed to start a nonprofit one day in his honor. It was going to be called the Lucas Project, but I thought it was going to be to help children. As we went through this, I realized how desperate we were for a break and thought, you know, if we're this desperate for a break, there has to be other special needs families who are just desperate for for respite, for a break. So filled out all the paperwork, launched our first chapter in 2018 in rural Tennessee. It was a huge success. And then we moved towards Nashville and kind of thought, for Lucas to, you know, pursue more resources and support and just thought we can't keep like shutting down chapters and then reopening chapters because we move, we're kind of gypsies and, you know, <laughs> we need to maybe reframe what our mission statement looks like. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and so we, we reframe, reframed it and it's now um, we provide recognition and respite for special needs caregivers. The recognition portion is the podcast, Coffee with Caregivers. And then the documentary that we've been working on for about three years now, mm. um, Unseen Documentary, which can be found at caregiverdoc.com. And that will be launching um, by the new year. Oh, and that's great. It's, it's going to change the world. It's exposing the mental health crisis among special needs caregivers mm. and just a lot of what we go through, the fight or flight, the, um, the anxiety, the PTSD, all of that. Um, and then the respite portion, we send care packages to mamas around the country just to say, I see you. Um, we also have uh, on our website, we have 12 caregivers that have wish lists. So they, li or they list their three gift cards that they want somebody else to purchase mm. um, just to provide a little bit of respite. And then we give respite grants to communities. We just awarded a community in Victoria, Texas with a $1,000 respite grant to start respite where they are. Wow. And can so, all this um, be found at the lucasproject.org? Org, yeah. Org, okay. Okay. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and I should say, we're going to put all this in the show oh, notes yeah. for listeners, yeah. too. This will be And I will say, I, <laughs> I was listening to your podcast the other day at Starbucks, and um, I, my wife and I and Fuller, I mean, we, we are all on the same page of God gave us a story to not be quiet about. Right. You know, right. and that's, we see that in 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, right? 2 Corinthians so, 1, yeah. where, you know, Paul says, we went through this so we can share with you and in your affliction and what you're dealing with as well. Um, and so from, from me, um, I, I have to say you have a new subscriber, not today, but as of like this week. Um, and so I appreciate what you're doing. Cause even though I look at my situation with my special need girls and it's like, Oh, it's nothing compared to what you have with Lucas. Right. And, but I'm learning. I'm like, man, Beth is one of the strongest people I've ever met. Cause I've, I've only been doing this now for a year. Uh, well, not, a a, no, no, less than a year. I mean, Oh, she Beth moved, moved up in January. So I've been only forgot. been doing it for yeah. about 10, um, 10 months ten, or yeah. so. Yeah, right. And I, I'm starting to have my eyes open of, yeah, I need help. Not physically, yeah. but mentally. Like right. my, I mean, I've yeah. never had to deal with anxiety attacks and I've never had to deal with severe depression. I've never had to deal with panic attacks until just recently. And mm -hmm. so, so I'm, I'm right there with Ryan. So from, from me, I just want to say thank you. Like seriously, for, for all the stuff that you do, not to hijack the conversation, but seriously, thank you. Yeah. So Thank you. how can, uh, real quick, let's wind it down a little bit because yeah. we know you're pressed for time. Um, could you could just give us a quick rundown of how our listeners can connect with you, how they can get involved with um, with the lucasproject.org, uh, um, some of your books, and then a little bit about the documentary that's coming around, out real fast. Well, my main website is justplussms.com. Um I don't write a lot on it anymore because I'm working on another book. Um, so yeah, the books are Sunlight Burning at Midnight and Blended with Grit and Grace. Sunlight's the first, the first, you know, the first book story, whatever. Um, and then Blended takes over from there. And um, I hang out on Facebook a lot at Just Plus MS or Instagram. Um, I'm not into TikTok. I refuse, even though my teenage daughters <laughs> would love for me to start an account. Let's be honest. All the moms are on Instagram reels. Let's just be honest. Yeah. And I'm not going to do Twitter either. So um, what else? The LucasProject.org. There's tons of ways to get involved. 
on our website now, there. Now, with the and gift then, card thing that you mentioned, are people able to purchase the gift cards for those families right there on the lucasproject.org yes, website? Yes, okay. tell their story. Cool. Um, and then there are three gift card options that you can purchase, just and it gets sent immediately to them. Awesome. So just to bless their day and help them out a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, caregiverdoc.com. Um, this was a labor of love. It was an idea I had years ago and tracked down a filmmaker and a producer in Nashville. And they believed in the idea. They've been following our family for about three years. And it will be coming out, I believe, by January 1st awesome. for the world to see. Awesome. Uh, and you said that was yep. caregiverdoc.com? Yep. Oh, uh, Unseen, How We're Failing Parent Caregivers and Why It Matters. Yes. Woo, that's a tagline. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's. Okay. Uh, we saw the finished product a few weeks ago, and it is it is going to change the world. And that comes out, you said, January, January? 1st? By January 1st, it'll be Sign out. Sign me up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> well, Jess, thank you so much for being on. Is there anything else that we didn't maybe ask you or cover that you would like to say before we uh, wrap up here? I don't think so. Okay. I appreciate you guys having me. Well, thank you so much for being on. I know there's so much of your story that we just didn't have time to get to, so I would encourage people to to buy buy your books, uh, Sunlight Burning at Midnight and Blended with Grace. I know the Sunlight Burning at Midnight, I'm almost through, and it's a, it's a profound story. <laughs> um, it, it's amazing um, that you're that open with, with, with your thoughts from your, your journal entries. Aww. I mean, it's basically right. straight from your journal entries, and so um, – it was, it was very, it's very real and raw and, um, it's emotionally hard to read sometimes, <laughs> at least for me, cause I'm a big old soft teddy bear. And you're, so you're a big grizzly bear, but I, you I, a teddy bear. I care about people and I, I have the feels. <laughs> so, um, but I'd encourage people to go check out your books, check out the website, check out your podcast, check out the lucasproject.org. I mean, I, I, all the things, just everything you're doing, you and Ryan and your family, you really are an inspiration and and we appreciate you here on RTC. Can I can I land it with one last question Go for, for Jess? It. So let's <laughs> say there's someone who's literally stuck in the mess right now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not talking about me, but uh, let's say there's someone who's stuck in the mess. They're listening. They're going, God, I don't like the situation. I've done everything you've asked me to do. Um, this just sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. If you could provide one little nugget of hope and truth, what would you tell that person? I think I would say try to find 30 minutes for yourself because that will often reframe my circumstances very Mm. quickly. And for me, that looks like usually going for a walk, um, put my music, you know, on and, and God will speak to me. And then I come back ready to, ready to roll again. So I think that sounds like burnout to me. So somehow trying to figure out how to prioritize yourself, even for 30, 60 minutes where you can regroup and say, okay, it's like Jesus when he got just, popular, he went over to the mountain, went across the river. Exactly. Yeah. And cool. I think, you know, moms have a really difficult time with that, with the martyr mommy syndrome. But I think we need to do a better job of taking care of ourselves. I love it. I love it. Cool. Well, Jess, from the bottom of our hearts, thank, thank you. you. Seriously, thank well, you. Thank you. And Fuller, you already said it, but we got to encourage listeners, man. Yeah. Yep reach out. And I don't want to say, you know, here's just another ministry to support, but you know, there's at the same token, you know, every time we do an interview here in RTC, whether it's the coffee subscriptions that we try to offer people or the interviews we had with like back-to-back ministries. Right. Um, have you heard of Hope Resource Center down in Knoxville, mm-hmm. Jess? Yep. Um, so yep. Andrew, Andrew Wood is a good friend of the podcast. Yep. In fact, he's a great friend of Beth's. And we actually had, oh, we okay. had him on the podcast. We had him on the podcast, episode 79? Something like that, yeah. Okay. Uh, back in January. <laughs> we had a, back in January of this year, we had him and Ryan Coatney of Crossform Kids back-to-back. And yep. Coatney's a Nashville guy. Yep. Um, okay. And so every time we, we have these conversations with people, it's so that way we can help – just Christians who are just living their, you know, I don't want to say comfortable lives. Well, and so many, but so, you know, so many Christians go, well, I want to get involved, or I, how do how do I become, you know, how do I help ministry? How do I participate in the ministry? And and that's why we have these interviews to yeah. show different avenues of, hey, these are the things that we can help support as Christians and help take care of the widow, the orphan, those. The parent, weak, the downtrodden. Yeah, parents that, that need help because, you know, they need a break. They need that 30 minutes. They need that 60 minutes. Right. How can we get involved? 
Um, that's w- the whole reason why why we have these interviews is to help people get involved and maybe put a little fire under people's butts too, too to get moving. That's too. So yeah, just, and I, yeah. I always find it interesting too. All the help I had when Jason was going through cancer, yeah. but yeah, with my child with severe special needs for seventeen years, it's like crickets. Yeah, people don't want to touch that, and even though it's just as exhausting, right? As you know, ca- Jason's cancer journey. So yeah. It's, um, I think, relaying that message. Cool. And, and guys, we'll have all the links in the show notes, so that way you don't have to go, oh, no, I missed every single one of those. Just go to the show notes, because there's a lot of links. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have <laughs> yeah. all the links there. Jess and, is busy. Yeah. <laughs> and, but Jess, seriously, thank you. I know you, like, let's be honest, you took an hour for us. So seriously, yeah. thank, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome. But before we let you go, Joe, <laughs> before we let you go, though, Jess, we're going to let you enjoy... Probably one of our favorite parts of the show. We're going to give you 30 seconds of a break here. Because <laughs> it's time for Fun Facts with Fuller. <laughs> time for Fun Facts with Fuller. <laughs> <laughs> Those last get me every time, that, that bro. last one that Piper does Well, is you have good. kicked out well over 120-something fun facts, and yeah. yet you've not run out. Well, I've repeated one You repeated time. one. I caught one you on it. I caught you on it. Darn. Anyways, what you got for us today, boss? Today, the fun fact is the word y'all dates back to at least 1631. Really? Whether you like it or not, the shortening of you all to y'all is here to stay. For a long time, people believed the term originated sometime in the 18th or 19th centuries, but in fact, it's been in use for much longer. In 1631, English scholar William Lysel wrote the following in a book of Ethiopian history. The captive men of strength I gave to you, the weaker sold, and this y'all know is true. So y'all's been around y'all's for been a around while. Y'all's been around for a while. Okay, so I guess <laughs> I got to ask. You were in Middle Tennessee, now yeah, back up I in Michigan. It. Do you? Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Beth still says it all. She, she went, I mean, so Beth's originally from Indiana, went down there, and she would say, you guys, or, you know, and people would get offended if you didn't say y'all down in the South. Yeah. I, I've always used y'all. I just like it. No, nope. just rolls off the tongue. It's y'all. Hey, what's nope, up, y'all? It's you guys. I say you guys. <laughs> hey, I say you guys. Um, interchangeably and fixing to. I'm fixing to fix go it. to the yeah. bank. Yeah, right. Oh, I was. I w- wow. That just showed how fixing northern I am. Fixing to go to the grocery store. I'm like, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> fix right. it. Uh, now I, I'm. I'm learning my southern phrase like knee high to a grasshopper. That's more. That's more southeast. I'm. I'm slowly. <laughs> I'm slowly helping you conform. <laughs> well, my wife will bust things out. I'm I, I make fun of my daughters all the time because they say till like the yeah. color teal is till and Notre Dame is blue and gold. Like, <laughs> I so, like it. Yeah, accents are just fun. But seriously, Jess, yeah. we just want to say thank you again for joining thank us today. You. Well, thank you. Awesome. And listeners, just like always, you can find all the show notes and and just links to how to connect with us on Instagram and on right. Facebook, email, text messages. We joke that our phone number is real. Five seven four four zero zero five three five two. And we've proved real. it to some people. Because some people are like, oh, if you want to call me back, and we've called people back. We'll call you back. Well, we will call you back if you if you call us out on it. But we would love to keep the conversation going. But if you at all feel any nudge in your heart where it's like you want to maybe step forward and learn more about what it takes to actually potentially be a respite caregiver or just support the ministry, again, go to the show notes. There's all the links right there where you can connect it with Jess. Um, and all the links just to connect with us to continue the conversation yep. on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and we're over on YouTube and not TikTok and not Twitter either. Well, we're on Twitter, well, but we're not active on Twitter. <laughs> that takes a lot of work. Twitter takes a lot of work. But just like always, guys, we love you guys. We are so thankful for all the new listeners that we found and the old ones that have been with us since the beginning. Jess, again, we want to say thank you for joining us. And until next time, guys, take it easy.